Hey, what's up, everyone? This is your host, the Swaz, and this is my sports podcast show, Swaz Says. This is my first podcast that will specifically be about sports, and I have another one dropping called Real Talk, which will be just about life topics in general. So I definitely hope you guys enjoy my show. Um, I'm excited to give you guys my own personal take, thoughts, and expression of feelings. I pride myself in being a very truthful, honest individual, so I'm very blunt, straightforward. I like to get people mad a little bit, so I'm real unfiltered, so I like that. I feel like an honest conversation is needed, and I feel like sports is everybody got their own thoughts, personal opinions about things, so I definitely want to go ahead and keep that same energy, keep that vibe with my podcast show with sports, as well as my Life Topics podcast, Real Talk. So hope you guys enjoy the show. Kick back, relax, and stay tuned. Peace. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Swaz, and this is a new episode of Swaz Says, and on this episode, I wanted to talk about college football. So for me, I've been a big college football fan since 2004, when USC faced Oklahoma in the BCS championship game, and USC absolutely destroyed Oklahoma. That's when my fandom for college football started, my fandom for USC started, and it was just a big moment for me in my life. Uh, Fast forward to now, college football... You know, I still watch it. I still enjoy watching it, but it's now starting to get a little bit too boring. It's starting to get too predictable nowadays. And I feel like there's a a change needed to be done, whether that be a conference of realignment, uh, more uh, expansion. I'm in favor of an expansion of the playoffs or just a just a different style that they need to do as far as the style format for the playoffs. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be changed. So here are my thoughts. I just wanted to run down to you guys and see what you guys think. Maybe you, maybe you like it. Maybe you have your own thoughts. Maybe you don't. So hear what I think. So number one, I think the uh, NCAA needs to have a commissioner. I feel like that commissioner needs to oversee the rules and requirements as far as getting into a conference championship or, excuse me, as, as far as getting into the college football playoffs. Uh, this year, we had Ohio State get in there with only about six wins. Um, the Big Ten Conference decided that that's, that that's all they're going to play. And they shut it down. And I felt like that's kind of unfair to the other schools that really had an opportunity and chance to get into the college football playoffs with their own, only one loss. You know, Florida was up there um, until they lost to LSU this year. Texas A&M only had one loss, so they had a good argument in case to make it in. Um, Cincinnati was actually kind of an interesting school if they uh, ranked up high enough after their conference win, conference title win. And um, instead, we got the same teams kind of going in that we almost had last year. Uh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. So Notre Dame is a kind of iffy team. Um, they played a hell of a regular season game. This is their first year in the ACC. Usually Notre Dame is an independent school. So the first year in the ACC. They played well. They beat Clemson earlier in the year without Trevor Lawrence that time, but DJ held it down. Um, he's a product from California, so he held it down for the Clemson Tigers, and the Clemson Tigers fell short to Notre Dame. Now, fast forward to, to last week, Notre Dame was absolutely manhandled by Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers. Manhandled. So, <sighs> would I put them in? Uh, I'll probably give them a slight pass because usually SEC teams do the same thing. They try to, you know, as soon as the runner-up loses, they kind of put them in. So, that's what I think. But I feel like the college football playoffs committee needs to kind of look into consideration on expanding the playoffs. I think that's the number one thing. I think that's kind of something that pleases everybody. I know a lot of people are not in favor of it. Oh, it's not college football, but look, college football is amateur sports. It's the it's a little pre- premature NFL, if you say. These kids are not there going to school for 
you know, to be they're not taking these hard courses, not not all of them. But the majority is their next level is going to the NFL. So why not expand the playoffs to a 10 team playoff? I feel like each conference, five conferences, the power five, uh, each conference has their conference winner. They solidify their spot. Then you have the runner up. Um, the third seed in each conference will play for the Rose Bowl or any NY6 Bowl. And then the other guys, depending on the winning record and percentage, they'll play for the regular bowls as the million bowls that the NCAA has in store for them. I feel like that'll be a fair way. Have each conference, you know, the number one and two seed will have a bye week. And then you'll have the, you know, depending on the conference, like say number 10 seed will play number 10 seed and a nine seed will be like a wild card seed or whatever. And whoever wins out of that wild card will play the one or two seed and vice versa, something like that. That's my initial thoughts. Uh, number two, I think that the NCAA needs to kind of have a sit down with every conference. And with the exception of the SEC, because the SEC has been the most dominant conference when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to facilities, when it comes to winning the playoffs, winning the championship, the SEC has been dominant. I'm going to give you a fun fact. The SEC has, from 2010 to now, the SEC has probably won seven out of eight national championship titles. They, there was, it was a crazy run for the SEC where they had about six years in a row that they won a national championship, you know? And between that, you put, you put Florida State, Clemson, Ohio State, they, they won the chip. But other than that, the SEC has completely dominated. SEC has the best facilities. The SEC is on TV more. It's a better conference. More kids are looking at the SEC and thinking to themselves, well, you know, I, may, I may not get a lot of time, but I'm going to get film. I'm going to get coverage on me. And, you know, scouts and recruits is going to still look at me in the NFL. And I'm going to get drafted. So SEC is taking over in that regards. So the NCAA, I think they need to sit down with these other conferences and tell them to pretty much step up, you know, either get better facilities, better coaches, but the competition level needs to raise, and if you guys want an opportunity and chance to play in the college football playoffs, then you guys need to step up, you know, especially the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has been a joke for the last couple of years now. Uh, I'm gonna have a, have, I'll have a little take on the Pac-12 and what they, what's going on with them and what they need to do, but the Pac-12 has been a joke. If I had to rank my conferences right now, I'll put the SEC number one. I'll put the Big Ten number two. Number three, I'll put the ACC. Number four, I'll put the Big 12. And number five, I'll put the Pac-12. And that's how I rate my conferences. Uh, another idea that I had in mind, I think, you know, conference realignment, I feel like conferences, the conference champions should be playing more out-of-conference games at the conference houses, you know, like at the home stadiums. I feel like the um, all conferences should kind of have like that, like an out-of-conference. I almost like the NFL has an AFC versus the NFC. I feel like conferences should play each other now, you know. Have the Big Ten West play the Pac-12 South. Have the Big 12 you know, I don't even know what the Big 12 had. Their two conferences are, but I'll say the Big 12 East played the, PAC, the SEC East. You know, have different conferences play each other, have their schedules go and coincide and kind of work something out where, hey, this is what your schedule is looking at. If you play this one, this one, this will determine who's going to play in your SEC championship game, who's going to play in your Big 12 championship game, your Pac-12, your Big 10, your ACC championship game. Kind of switch it up, make things a little bit more exciting to start seeing different schools face each other. Hopefully we can see one day see again a Texas versus Texas A&M. They haven't played since 2011. You know, bring back some old rivalry games. Bring back that, that nostalgia that we all had and love for college football. You know, a lot of teams don't travel no more. You know, Alabama has to travel to the West Coast. The furthest they go is Dallas. 
That's Jerry World. That's almost like a home game. And then they play whoever they need to play. They don't travel to the West Coast. I would love to see Alabama travel to USC, even though USC is not on that caliber. But, you know, at an old time, and say USC got back to that level, I would love to see Alabama versus USC at USC House or USC go to Alabama. You know, these schools need to travel and do more. You know, I don't want to hear that, oh, they're student athletes. Man, they're amateur athletes. You know, pay them a stipend check, a universal stipend check that no school, regardless of how big they are, how much money they make, how much boosters they have, they have these student athletes get a, a stipend work study check after every game. Hey, you get paid on Saturday, here's a stipend check, here you go. So those are my thoughts and ideas of what the college football needs to do as far as the playoffs and everything. It's dominating, man. SEC is dominating, even in recruiting. I mean, the top right now, look, listen to this. 2021, the top five schools right now in 2021 in recruiting. Off the top of my head, I'm looking at it. It's, about, it's like Alabama, it's Clemson, it's uh, Ohio State, and it's also Georgia and LSU is in the mix. Those are the top five schools. Three out of those schools right now are in, <laughs> in, in the playoffs. You know, Oregon is at six. A&M is at seven. Notre Dame is at eight. Oklahoma is at nine. Florida's at 10, and these same schools is constantly in the playoff picks or in the hunt. So, hey, these other conferences need to be put on notice. Step up, you know, raise your talent level, get better coaches, um, recruit better, get better facilities, boosters, do something, do what you need to do, you know. And if that's not the case, then NCAA needs to do right and say, hey, you all these other conferences, you guys are going to be playing each other, and this is what the schedule is going to be looking like, and you guys are going to rotate every year. Or we're going to expand the playoffs to a 10-team playoffs and uh, two representatives from every conference or whoever's, whoever has the best record, the top 10 teams, will be in the playoffs and we'll go from there. So that's my thoughts. Tell me what, tell me what you guys think and see if you guys agree, disagree, or what you're in favor of. All right? Thank you. I appreciate you guys. It's my first show right here, first episode of, of Swaz Says. Damn, I almost forgot my own episode. <laughs> first episode of Swaz Says. All right? That's the bottom line. Y'all take care. Peace. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, the Swaz, and this is another episode of Swaz Says. And on this episode, I'll be talking about the USC Trojans. So, like I said in my previous episode, I'm a big USC fan. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Grew up about 15 minutes down from the Coliseum and always rooted for USC. You know, 2004 BCS National Championship game against Oklahoma. That's when my fandom began. Watching Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Lindell White, uh, Dwayne Jarrett, Steve Smith do their thing. Offense, Taylor Mays and them boys. Offense was a monster at USC. You know, USC was a school to go to and a school to beat at that time. And I loved it. I loved how USC was competitive under Pete Carroll. Uh, they didn't care who they played. They would go to your house and play you at your house. <laughs> you know, they, that's what I loved about that USC team. They were unafraid. They didn't care. You know, they didn't care about their ranking. They didn't care about their reputation. They would go to the schools either in SEC or Big Ten, uh, Big Ten. They would go to their house and play them and beat them there, you know. And that's what I love about USC football. Fast forward to now, I feel like USC is, excuse me, under Clay Hilton. Right now, USC is on a downward trend. Clay Hilton is an average coach. He's mediocre. And the USC program is now becoming a, a mediocre program under his, under his reign. I look at Kelly Hilton. I don't say he's a bad man. I think he's a good coach, but he's not the right coach for USC. When I call him average, he will be a good fit for a school like the University of Arizona. The University of Arizona 
is a school that doesn't really have high expectations to making it into the college football playoffs or contending for a national championship. That school is that school is kind of the school that really you go to to develop and your expectations to play into the Pac-12 championship and go to a Rose Bowl. You know, those are the expectations of a school like the University of Arizona. Clay Hilton fits that role for them. When I listen to him talk, every time in his conversations or any time reporters are reporting and talking to him, this is all I hear from him. Oh, we're going to play hard. Uh, we're going to clean up some mistakes. And, you know, we're going to contend. Uh, our, our, our expectation this season is to co- contend and compete for a Pac-12 championship. That's not the expectation for USC. If I'm an athletic director, my expectation is to win a national championship. I'm calling him into my office and saying, why are we not contending for a national championship? Why haven't we made any progress in getting close to it or at least getting to a college football playoff? Why is the likes of Oregon, I'll even say Alabama, Clemson, and all these other schools taking our talent from our backyard? Why are we not recruiting these talents? Why are we not getting quarterbacks like DJ or a quarterback like Bryce, our quarterback like Bryce Young, who is a matter of day, DJ, who went to St. John Bosco, right in our backyard? Why are they leaving and going to schools like Clemson in Alabama? You know, Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. Why is he leaving and not going to Arizona State? Why is he at Arizona State and not at USC? Don't get me wrong. I like Keaton Slovis. I think he's pretty good. JT Daniels is pretty good. But they're the same type of quarterbacks, pro-style quarterbacks. And USC has recruited the same type of quarterbacks year after year for the last 10, 15 years now. It doesn't work anymore. You need quarterbacks who can move, who's mobile, who can not only pass, read defenses, but also can move around. When I watched Trevor Lawrence in that uh, championship game against Notre Dame, Notre Dame could not stop this kid. Trevor Lawrence is about 6'6", 215. And he's running over dudes, getting first downs, extending plays with his extending plays and making plays with his arm at the same time. When I watched Keaton Slovis, his kid is over there. He looked like a deer in headlights. He's trying to move around, look down the field. And instead of running for at like least five yards, he's trying to throw a ball that he shouldn't be throwing. Interception. No. I would say Oregon is the new representative of the Pac-12. They're strong. They're physical. Yes, they had two bad losses against Oregon State and Cal. But... They're going to reload next year. 2021 recruiting class are in the top six. So they'll be back next year. USC is right now at 13, but that's probably going to go down. They'll probably be 21 again. Kids don't want to come to USC no more. You know? And to me, USC needs to reinvent themselves. The way you reinvent yourself is you kind of kind of catch up with the times. You know, Get away from the air raid. The air raid has never worked. That's a big 12-type offense. And Big 12 doesn't win any championships. They, they score a lot of points, but they don't win any championships. We need to get back to what USC is good at. You know, go into like a spread offense and get back to the run game. Be more physical like that. Recruit bigger athletes. Bigger, faster, stronger athletes. I'm looking at USC, and a lot of these guys don't even look like they play football. A lot of these guys look like they just belong on Instagram. Like those Instagram models or Instagram influencers. You know, taking pictures, taking selfies of themselves. They look soft. Recruit guys who want to play football, who physical, who eats and breathes football. No, go back to the schools, down into the schools that nobody really go to, down back in the California area. Go to the schools in Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Go to the South again and recruit these kids more. As far as the quarterback position, stop recruiting the same type of quarterbacks. We need more dual threat quarterbacks now because that's who's winning national championships. 
you need quarterbacks that can move because these defensive linemen are monsters now. These def- defensive linemen can run 4-4-4-5 four, 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 now, you know. Bench 225 like 30 times, jump 40 inches, and they're like <laughs> six, they're almost like 6-5 and like 270 of just muscle. Look at you see, you see what uh, what's that? Um, the Ramsey defensive line. You see him, Aaron Donald. He's just a slab of muscle. That's it. He's strong, and that's what these guys, these guys out of college are are looking like nowadays. They're coming like that. They're faster. They're stronger. They're moving quicker. So you need a quarterback that can be able to move out of the pocket. USC needs to stop recruiting the same type of quarterbacks and kind of catch up with the times. Re- recruit a true du- dual threat. You know, if they want to compete. So I think that's what USC football needs to do. They need to kind of change everything about themselves, honestly. They need to reinvent themselves, reinvent the wheel, do a renaissance. I understand the whole tradition thing, but look, you're USC. You're University of Southern California. We're not a school in the South. We're not a school in the Big Ten. We're a school in the Pac-12. Have your uniform represent that. You know, get away from the old traditional black cleats, white, white shoelaces like we're playing in the 1960s. You know, catch up with the times. You know, in the words of Deion Sanders, you want to look good, play good, feel good. You know, I look at the Instagram, I follow a couple of guys, they always wearing different style cleats. They want to, you know, swag themselves out a little bit because they, they, they want to look good on the field so they could play good, so they could feel good, they, so they one day could get paid good. Change up the swagger, you know, change your uniforms up a little bit, change the, the way you recruit up, change your offensive style, get rid of Clay Helton, hire a coach who wants to win. Hire a coach who's going to have that accountability and also has that drive to win a national championship and not play for a Pac-12 championship. USC already won a Pac-12 championship in the last three years. They already won. They already won a Rose Bowl. Your goals, your, your goals and expectations now, hey, let's go. We want to win a national championship. We need to be the Pac-12 representatives again. You should be dominating the likes of Oregon. You should be dominating these schools in the Pac-12, how Ohio State dominates their, division, their conference year after year. So USC football needs to step up, you know. Athletic director, athletic director, do right. Go ahead and get rid of Clay Helton. Clay Helton, either do right for the program and just resign. If that's not your expectations and goals. Because people are tired. I see the comments on social media all the time. People are ready for this man to go. Because he knows he's the number one problem. Kids don't want to play for Clay Helton, you know. Because they understand that they're not going to be coached well. USC is all consistent being outcoached the last few years. USC struggled with the likes of UNLV. They were up like 2021 a few years ago on UNLV, school in Las Vegas. UNLV should not be nowhere near that close to USC. That Pac-12 championship game, they came out flat and dry. This year, they, they won four out of five games in the last quarter, in the last few minutes. They would have been the most penalized team. They're undisciplined. Half of the time, they're outside with I remember Reggie Bush said a year or two ago, they're outside just running around, no shirt on, like they had no sense. Like, this is not the USC of old who was disciplined, who was hard knock, who was rocking. When they came to compete, they came to compete. They was putting a helmet in your face every time. They was running on you, they were scoring you, they, they could run, they could pass, they could throw, they could do anything on you. You were not stopping USC. They need to get back to that blue bud that they once were. No. And the only way to start doing that, the first step is getting rid of Clay Helton and start accepting the changes of now. Social media is a big thing. Kids want to play in the best. They want to work out in the best facilities. They want to wear the nice uniforms. 
Start adopting that. I'm not saying you got to go like Oregon, do 100 uniform combinations, but start changing things up. You know, that's where you start attracting more recruits and start playing out-of-conference games again and start winning these out-of-conference games again. Start competing more. You know, that's what, US, that's what made USC USC. USC wasn't afraid to go to Ohio State. They wasn't afraid to go out any out of conference to go play Auburn. They was not afraid to play anybody anywhere. And USC needs to get back to that if they want to get back into the college football playoffs in hopes of <clears throat> in, excuse me in hopes of playing in the national championship. So those are my thoughts on my Trojans. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Let me know what y'all think. All right, y'all take care. That's the bottom line from the Swaz. I'm out. Peace. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your host, the Swaz, and this is another episode of Swaz Says. And on this episode, I want to talk about the Clippers. So me, I grew up a big Los Angeles Clipper fan. I grew up in Los Angeles, California, born and raised. And the Clippers, I, I played for the Junior Clippers when around 2000, 2001. And that's where my fandom really began for the Clippers. Um, you know, I was a kid. I really watched basketball like that. I watched the Lakers. You know, I, I knew who Kobe, Kobe and Shaq was. And those were my two favorite players at the time. And Kobe, rest in peace, you know, still one of my favorite players to this day. Um, so with the Clippers, I seen them on TV, but I didn't really know about them too much until I started playing for them. When I played for them, you know, it was fun. Like I had my best season as a kid, <laughs> you know, that was my best season. And I remember the, um, the Clippers actually came down to the park where we played at. I played at Queen, Queen at Recreational Park and that park wasn't in the best neighborhood. There was a lot of gangs in that neighborhood. So to see NBA teams, NBA players come down, talk to us, chill with us, um, you know, play with us and everything like that. We hosted a little skills camp. I remember I played against one, scored on him. And um, when he seen the move I made on him, he was like, man, look at this kid right here. So for me, as a kid during that time, that was a big moment for me. It definitely kind of made a big impression on me. And from that day on, I was like, I'm going to be a Clipper fan. I got my jersey signed by Keon Doolin. He wore number one like I, no, one, like I wore number one, excuse me. And um, from that point on, man, I was like, I'm a Clipper fan. And I rock with them through the highs and through the lows. I rock with the Clippers, you know. The Clippers were perennial losers. Um, pretty much in this franchise history, they haven't won anything. They haven't been to a Western Conference final. You know, fun fact, uh, it said that if the Clippers could win the next eight seasons, in the next eight seasons, the Clippers could win the championships in all eight seasons, they would still have a losing record. So the Clippers' history hasn't been a good history as far as winning is concerned. I would say in the last 10 years, uh, since Blake Griffin was drafted and they got Doc Rivers, they, they made a change. They've been winning more consistently. They've been in the playoffs a lot more consistently. Um, no championships to show for it. They haven't been past the second round at all. And that's what I kind of wanted to talk about, like, what is the hindrance in the Clippers? Uh, for me, I would say a few things. Um, the first hindrance was Donald Sterling, terrible owner, racist. He had racist remarks. Um, and his main concern wasn't really putting a good product on the floor. His main concern was just collecting checks. That's it. That's his main concern. Uh, he got caught up on a scandal where he was saying some racist remarks uh, to his side, side chick or sugar, sugar baby or whatever about Magic Johnson and didn't want you know, black people being in the arena. And you got an NBA roster full of black people. So that, is, uh, that was kind of the end of him, and I was glad of it. And we got this new owner, Steve Ballmer, who who main focus is on winning. He wants to put a product on the floor to win games. And that I can respect. Uh, Steve Ballmer, immediately the following year, after his first year, removed Doc Rivers out of like, I think they had Doc Rivers like almost like GM duties, GM roles. And Doc Rivers was a terrible GM. You know, paying the son, 
not getting a, a three when they needed a three. You know, they Clippers needed mi- missing pieces that would have made us a real dominant championship team. And Doc Rivers didn't do it because uh, he was too occupied with different things. And it, it showed up in his coaching. Um, Doc Rivers was a big problem for the Clippers. I respect Doc. I think he's a good man. I think he's a good coach. But Doc Rivers is the type of coach that was real overrated with that Boston team. You know, they won a good. They won a lot of games. They won one NBA championship out of it, but they did not do anything after that. Here's a fun fact. I remember Phil Jackson was saying uh, they caught him saying in the fourth fourth quarter, like, "Hey, don't worry about it. Keep playing hard. Keep doing what we're doing. Uh, this team is known to blow three one leads. Doc Rivers has blown three one leads in every in every at every team he was on. Orlando Magic, he had a three one lead. He blew it. Boston Celtics, three one lead. He blew it." Clippers, twice he blew it with 3-1 leads. Something about 3-1 leads that Doc Rivers just doesn't know how to finish off games. You can blame it on Doc, blame it on the players. It's a combination of both. I blame it on Doc because the common denominator has been him. Doc Rivers does not know how to make adjustments. He doesn't know when to sell people out, when to you know draw better plays. He's, a, he's not the best X's and O's guy. I call Doc Rivers this. Doc Rivers, to me, is a, what can I say, is a player's coach. This is my stance on players' coaches. Players' coaches don't win championships. They don't. They win a lot of games. They don't win championships. You know, who's a player's coach that comes to mind? I'll put it in college football terms, too. I had my segment on USC in my last episode. Clay Hilton, he's a player's coach. He wins games, don't win championships. You know, who's not a player's coach? Bill Belichick. He wins NFL championships. Nick Saban's not a player's coach. He wins college football championships. You know, Greg Popovich, not a player's coach. He won multiple championships. You know, Steve Kerr, I don't know if I could call him a player's coach or not. We'll see this year. But, you know, he's not afraid to get into some players' asses because he played with Michael Jordan. You know, Phil Jackson wasn't really a player's coach. He was not afraid to get in people's asses, too. You know, and that's been a problem with the Los Angeles Clippers. Doc Rivers is not a player's coach. He's yelling. He could get into people sometimes, but he's not really doing anything. And I felt like the Clippers needed a new voice. Now, I was in favor of the Clippers blowing up the team. Um, I'm glad they got rid of Shamit. He was worthless in the playoffs. Um, and throughout the season, honestly, when I, when I watch players, if you're not consistently contributing off the bench, what's the likelihood of you contributing in a playoff game? You know, and Shaman should have been gone the previous year. I felt like we should have packaged Shaman and somebody else because he had potential. And Jerry West and the GM could have kind of like finessed OKC out of Paul George without giving up our best asset, which is Shy. You know, I would have gave up Shaman. Hell, I would have gave up my trust hero if I knew he was going to join the Lakers this year like a punk. But, you know, I'm not a GM, but that's my thoughts on it. Also, I wanted to say this. Um, I felt like the Clippers imploded. And I felt like the expectation of the playoff, that pressure got to him. You know, I don't think it really got to Kawhi. Kawhi is a machine. He did his thing. But I think the other players, they felt that pressure. I think PG felt a lot of pressure. I felt like, I think like um, the other role players felt a lot of pressure. I think a lot of guys just felt that pressure, that expectation, because for the first time in NBA history, the Clippers was chosen. Hey, everybody was choosing the Clippers as NBA champions over the Lakers with LeBron James and AD over the Lakers. Me, I was thinking to myself, mm, I'll have to see a matchup between LeBron and AD. I think we'll be, we'll give them the most trouble and I think we can beat them. 
But I was like, it, it all depends on how we get past these other rounds, and we didn't even get to that point. You know, this is the second time in a row we missed the Battle of L.A., you know. I remember back in the day when um, it was the Clippers playing Phoenix Suns, and I think if we got past the Phoenix Suns, we would have played the Lakers and it would have been the Battle of L.A. Clippers didn't do it. So I don't know if we ever see the Battle of L.A. It would be dope to see a playoff series between two teams in the same city. But, hey, the Lakers did their job. The Clippers did not, you know. And the Clippers, uh, Lakers had a clear-cut leader. The Clippers didn't really have a clear-cut leader. I think a lot of guys didn't like Paul George trying to take the lead because he was missing shots, making bricks. But like Kawhi said, hey, all because he's not, all because he's not making shots doesn't mean he wasn't playing hard. He wasn't playing defense. He wasn't calling out plays and being vocal. He was being a leader. So it was good to see Kawhi say that. I think he needs to step up and be a leader. I think um, PG needs to step up more, get out of his head, be more accountable, stop making excuses. Um, I like what he said on the podcast, though. He said he felt like he wasn't being played in this role. He's more of a rhythm player. And a lot of people have kind of said that same statement. He's more of a rhythm player. So I think the Clippers are playing through him a little bit more. They're implementing a better offense with Tyron Lue and having a triangle offense for Kawhi. So that's opened up the floor. And we've seen that in game one. The preseason game, I was worried because, I mean, the Lakers were manhandling us. Taylor, whoever that guy is, Taylor Hunter, I don't know his last name, but that kid could ball, you know? And I was like, damn. But when we got into that first uh, home opener or that first uh, NBA season opener with the Lakers, I, I like what I saw. I like the ball moving down the scene. I seen guys moving around, calling, setting screens, setting sets, and taking good shots. I seen everybody contributing, crashing boards, playing hard defense, and that's what we need. You know, basketball is a simple sport. You need ball movement, you need shooters, you need guys to crash the board and hustle, and you need guys to play defense. That's going to win championships. You know, for the Clippers, I think they're hungrier this year. They got a taste of humble pie. Last year, you know, losing to Denver, that 3-1 lead. And I think, you know, being a laughing stock, that's just, that gives you a, a different type of motivation to chip to shut people up. So for my Clippers, I think the best way to shut people up is to win the championship. You know, not no close games to blow them out. You know, if I'm on the Clipper team, my main focus, if, if, we, did make, if we did make it to the um, Western Conference Finals and we're facing the Lakers, my goal is not to have a close series, not to go seven games. My goal is to sweep them, to make a statement. Yeah, I'm a little brother of the city, but I swept you. You're done. Get out. You know, that's what big dogs do. You know, I don't, I don't play games to, to just, oh, have be competitive. I know I'm playing the game to kill you. Kobe Bryant was a killer. Michael Jordan was a killer. He wasn't trying to hear no six games, go to seven games. Nah, they're trying to end you, period. You know, that's what the Clippers mentality needs to be like. Paul George said that Kobe, he listens to him all the time. He needs to adopt that killer mentality in the playoffs and kill him. No excuses. Next time he needs the playoffs, he doesn't need to be shooting threes. He needs to be going at people's throats. Kawhi needs to be going at people's throats. And that's what the Clippers mentality need to be. Go at their throats and make sure that they kill him. Whoever's in front of them, don't take nobody lightly. They could be the 8th seed, 7th seed. They could have the more losing record. Nah. First round, they need to just not play games. Second round, that's been the Clippers' Achilles heel. They need to end whoever it needs to end in four games and then get to the conference finals for the first time and not play games in there too. And in the finals, just kill them. <laughs> That's all I can say, man. That's the mentality they need to have, that killer mentality. You know, they look focused. They look hungry. We'll see how they play tonight against Denver. And I'm looking forward to seeing this Clipper team the rest of the season. I still think we need to make some moves. Uh, biggest move we need to make is to cut Reggie Jackson. He sucks. Um, he's just not having a good – he's just not flowing well with the team. 
I think he needs to move on somewhere else that where he can kind of do him. We need to get like another backup point guard or even a starting point guard. Um, I like Kennard. I like uh, I like his game. I think I like to see what the Clippers like to do with the starting lineup. We're still missing Morris right now. He's a healing from a knee injury, so we'll see. So I'm looking forward to this Clipper squad. I think we're very focused. I think we're very motivated. When you're laughing stock of memes and brick memes and all this other stuff, hell, I, I joined in on it too. You know, I'm a, I'm a realist. I'm gonna be honest. I'm truthful. You know, I'm unfiltered. We choked. So the best way to kind of shut people up, kind of make people forget is to win. And it's not winning the regular season. It's not winning the first round. It's the win, period, in the finals where it counts, being champions. That's the only way you're going to gain respect. All right, so that's the bottom line. I am DeSwaz. Thank you for listening. I'll catch y'all later. Peace. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, The Swaz, and this is another episode of Swaz Says. And on this episode, I wanted to talk about HBCU sports. So earlier this year, uh, Deion Sanders was hired at Jackson State University, and that was a big hire for HBCUs in general. Um, Deion is a is a ta- is a one of the be- most talented NFL players that ever played the game. Uh, he's a funny analyst, a real dude. Uh, I follow him on IG. He always posting some inspirational stuff, some real stuff. And uh, he got that swagger that's going to attract recruits. Recru- um, he has that uh, pedigree, that background, and he has connect- connections. Uh, I almost butchered that word just now. But he, he definitely has a good little network for himself. You know, I was watching, you know he, he knows coaches. He knows coaches. He knows GMs. You know, he knows scouts. So he's going to have people ready for athletes that you know, want to go to that next level to the NFL. He's going to have people, he's going to set them up and, you know, he's going to have people come down to Jackson State University. So it's, we don't see a lot of HBCU talent coming out, uh, especially nowadays. I think it was more, you know, back then. Um, I have to look at the, I have to look it up and see how many more, how many HBCU athletes were drafted into the NFL and NBA. I have to look that information up. But I know back then it was way more than it is now. Um, HBCUs really need to work on exposure. And that's one of the first things I want to talk about, the exposure for HBCUs. It, it's not enough. You know, now with the help of social media, um, more dudes can get tape out there, especially if they make a great play. They'll get tape on themselves. They can put it out there. They can put it on IG, put it in the reel, and then have thousands of people look it up. You know, and, and people will go and see, you know, coaches and and scouts and recruiters, they're always looking into, you know, they're looking at social media now. They don't need to really travel out too much. It'd be like, oh, snap, this kid made a play. Let me look up his information. Let me see what he got. Let me go contact the coaches. And then, boom, they send the information over to him. So exposure is a big thing. So we, the social media, you know, they're definitely, HBCUs is, is, is popular on social media. But now it's taking that popularity and started, and start getting, like, more marketing and sponsorship especially for the big corporations. Um, that's what these big universities have, like the Alabama's, Clemson, Ohio State. They got other things as well. Of course, I'm not saying that's the only thing, but they need to start getting more marketing and they need to start getting more exposure for themselves and they start needing to cut, cut some TV deals. Uh, that may even be playing some more schools in the Power Five conferences. Um, years ago, I think it was like a couple years back, I was watching Arizona University, the Wildcats versus Grambling State University. And Grandma Sam was actually winning that game, you know. Um, 
they eventually lost. I think uh, Arizona came back within the last couple minutes and beat them. But that was a big moment for Grambling State. If they won that game, definitely, you know, put more put them on the map, map a little bit more. So uh, I think it's important. They need to start scheduling themselves more. Um, maybe not the likes of like Alabama and Ohio State and USC right now and uh, Clemson and everything like that. Well, probably SC because SC kind of average as hell. But, you know, they probably could get them a little bit in like the first quarter and SC will probably take over in the next couple quarters. But... They just need to start scheduling these opponents more. Um, they need to start building building better facilities. So, you know, this world is divided right now, especially with the whole COVID and pandemic. We had a big racial division uh, in regards to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, a lot of protests. Um, you know, the athletes, NFL, NBA took knee, uh, kneels down in the anthem. Uh, just, in, just bringing awareness and everything like that. You know, some people hate it. Some people don't like it. Some people do. You know, some people feel like it's disrespectful to the flag, the country. Some people feel like disrespectful to the military. I am military. Um, in my opinion, it's not disrespectful to me. Uh, I know why I serve is to, you know, for freedom, in a, in a sense, protect our freedom. So I feel like, you know, that's a freedom of choice. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what they, they exercise their freedom of right to protest. Um you know, but I don't want to get into that right now. I'm a, I got definitely got an athletes and social social justice podcast coming up within a, in a week or two. But <clears throat> with that racial divide, I've seen a lot of NBA players, NFL players, uh, you know, vocalize. You know, wearing the shirts and jerseys and sweaters of HBCUs, historically, historically black colleges, and that's cool. That's cool and all. But that's just kind of like one thing you're doing. What else could you do? You know, you know these schools don't have the best facilities in comparison to like the Wake Forest or the Ohio State or the Alabamas or the you know Michigans and the Florida University. You know, these athletes need to start putting their money where their mouth is and start funding these schools. The best way to make change is with action. You know, action makes change. Everybody could do words and protests and we could shut streets down, but if there's no action behind the, behind all this, it goes to waste. Uh, athletes will have to start putting money into these schools to give them a shot to start bridging that gap a little bit. Now, my cousin brought up a great point when we when they had when me and him had this conversation. He pretty much just said, "Yeah, that's a good idea, but these athletes have no ties to these schools. They'll send their money and fund and contribute the school that they went to more than those HBCU schools because there's nothing in in it for them." And that's true, too. So that's what brings me back to the point with the social media and marketing themselves. These HBCUs need to market these athletes and, and you know, going to have to network, you know, work together. Uh, I don't know the whole details, but if I want, I remember when I used to work at Enterprise, rental cars, like if I needed some body shops and these body shops was tied to Hertz, in a Hertz rental car, I had to kind of convince them, like, well, what you going to do? You know, I had to kind of sell them on rates. Um, you know, that will ha- handle their business cards. And, you know, when they w- rent from us, I'll, you know, throw in a 20% off. Like I had a will and deal. So, I mean, these HBCUs probably need to do the same to these athletes. You know, nothing is nothing is free in life. You got to work for it. So these HBCUs need to start marketing themselves to get that exposure and then start marketing themselves to these athletes, to these corporations to start getting money funded so they can build the facilities, um, wait, you know, the facilities to start recruiting these athletes. Because these athletes... 
if I'm a say a five star recruit, you know, coming out of Los Angeles, California, South Central LA, and I go to HBCU school, and I'm like, okay, you know, the facility's decent, not great, but they're they're decent. I can see myself working out here. I like the atmosphere of the HBCU. I like the vibe. Then I go to a school like USC, and I see the weight room facility. Then they fly me out to Alabama, and I see Alabama's weight room facility. I see Clemson. I see Oregon's weight room facility. And then I see Ohio State's. And I'm like, man, like, this is nice. I mean, if you see LSU weight room, uh, their locker room, just their locker room is, like, nice. I've seen a couple facilities. Hell, UNLV just built a pretty nice new facility. And I'm like, damn, like, that's nice. Like, I could see myself chilling there as an athlete, eating, uh, doing my study hall, working out. So, these HBCU schools are behind in regards to the facilities that they have available to them, you know, and they need money to get funded. The HBCUs need money, you know, that's, that's, that's what everything comes down to is the money. So um, I feel like right now, especially with social media, HBCUs have, has a little bit of momentum. You know, you got Mikey Williams, an up and coming basketball player, high school player who's interested in it. Uh, a couple other high High name, uh, not high name, but highly recruited basketball players are interested in HBCUs. I, I think a few signed too, so it's going in the right direction. I feel like Dion's hiring definitely uh, is is going to put people on the map. A lot of dudes will want to go play for him, and I feel like it's going to make other schools step up themselves because they're going to need to, you know, hire better coaches or better recruiters or you know start beating, try to beat Dion's team and like, hey, we beat Dion's team, come to here. You know, come play for us. You know, I know Dion. I think a lot of success is going to be built on Dion Sanders' back. I feel like he will have to, you know, play out of conference and be the Power Five school to start really putting the HBCU on the map. So I feel like they're in the right direction. Um, it's a long way to go, you know, and they got to build that bridge. So it's all about networking. Uh, I remember I was taking a little sports management class when I was at Arizona State. And uh, I remember the teacher said, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. You know, a lot of people know Deion Sanders, <laughs> but a lot of people don't know these other coaches that's out there in HBCU. And they're going to have to kind of start finding different ways to kind of get it, get these recruits to go- come there now. So uh, I think p- playing out of conference, that would be playing out of conference and beating these power five schools. You know, not you know, not saying you have to play the big five star schools, but you could play like the three to four star schools, the two star schools, and beating them. You know, home openers, out of conference games, uh, marking yourselves. You know, trying to get athletes to fund them in facilities and building up better facilities at the schools. So it, it it takes a lot to build a program up. So I'm looking forward to it. I never went to a historically black college. Um, I was interested in it. Um, definitely, I would have. Definitely, I think I would, I would have had a good time there as well. You know, I had fun at Arizona State University, but I had some friends that went to black colleges, and they were lit. They they loved the atmosphere. They loved the vibe. I watched the movies. I watched documentaries. Um, I talked to pe- people who went. It's definitely a different vibe down there. So that's all I want to talk about today, man. Y'all have a good one. Hope y'all enjoyed y'all Christmas. Hope y'all have a good Happy New Year. I think it's going to probably be my last episode right now. For a couple of days and then um probably until the new year then i'll you know drop a little bit more few but you know, check out my new episodes right now check out my cousin podcast too clutch sports talk with ryan flowers check them on twitter youtube facebook instagram uh everywhere you, you know whatever you whatever you want to talk about he 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 he, he, way, he knows way more than i do <laughs> so 
Uh, that's all I want to say, man. That's the bottom line from the Swaz tonight. Y'all have a good one. All right. Peace.